0: want to give a very warm welcome to everyone on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube and podcasts, listening in, those who couldn't physically make it in, it's great that you've joined us online. Praise God. And if you're watching on Catch Up, a belated welcome to you also. So this is Pastor Craig Cooney. Craig comes from, well, Belfast originally, but ministering in County Armagh, Craig Avon. Uh, Hope Church, a great church up there and Craig has been with us I suppose five or six times now and we love his ministry and God has always spoken a fresh word to us. So will you put your hands together? Give a great heart welcome (laughs) to Craig Cooney? Thank you so much Pastor Tom. It is wonderful. To be with my, at this point, you're just family. You're just my long distance uh, family here in court. But people grieve, people mourn, people uh, recognize their losses in different ways. And today, what I want us to think about is this. Why do you mourn? Why do you mourn? Because that's a question that God asks the prophet Samuel. In 1 Samuel 16, why do you mourn? And like I say, I believe there's a word for each one of us. I've got a number of points, and one of them is for you. So he or she who is ears to hear, let them hear what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you today. My first point is this for some of you. It's time to move on. It's time to move on. On. Look at verse 1 with me. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. Michael explained this a few weeks ago. What happened was that Israel are God's chosen people. They were, they are still God's chosen people. And and God was their king. God was their ruler. God was the one in charge. But they got tired of that and they decided they wanted an earthly king. They wanted to be like the other nations. They wanted a king that they could see. They wanted somebody who looked impressive. And so they said, we want to be like the nations around us. Give us a king. And can I say to you that when God's people want to be like the nations around them, when God's people start trying to be like the culture around them, it never goes well. Because we are the people of God. We are different. We are distinct. We are called to be separate from the world. We're in the world, but we're not off the world. We're in the world, but we're a people of the word of God. And when the church thinks that the only way we can reach the world is by becoming like the world, then we completely mess up. You know, I know churches that have tried that. We'll water down our values. We'll water down our morals. Morals will disregard the word of God. We, We will disregard what the Bible says about sexuality and about all this other stuff. And we will just be like the world and then the world will come in. Do you know what? That never works. You know what those churches become? Pubs, carpet warehouses and mosques. Because the word of God is meant to be uh, dwell among the people of God. And we're meant to live a different and distinct Hallelujah. life. Amen. Anyway, God gives them what they want. Because sometimes when you set your heart on something, even if it's not right for you, God will give it to you. And God gives them the best man that's available. It's a guy called Saul. He's tall, he's impressive, he's handsome, he's good looking, he's from a wealthy family. He's the best guy that they've got and he can fight some battles. And it starts off well, but after a while it goes downhill. Because not everything that starts good, finishes good. We know that in life, don't we? Not everything that starts well, sadly, finishes well. And the problem with Saul is this, he's a people pleaser. He cares more about popularity with the people Than he does about obeying God. And so when it comes to a choice. Do I obey God? Or do I do what people want me to do? He always does what people want him to do. And after a while God has just had enough. And God says I'm done. I have rejected Saul as king over Israel. And so he sends Samuel the prophet. To be the one who has to deliver the bad news. But Saul Still stays on the throne. For about 15 more years, Saul still remains as king over Israel. Even though the anointing of God isn't upon him. Even though the blessing of God isn't upon him. You know, you can have position. You can have status. You can have wealth. You can have promotion. But if you don't have the blessing of God, it's worth nothing. You can have everybody looking at you, looking at your car, looking at your house, looking at how wonderful you look from the outside. If you don't have the favour of God on your life, the anointing of God, it is worth nothing. I would rather be anointed but not appointed than be appointed but not anointed. There is nothing more precious than the blessing and the favour and the anointing and the spirit of God. And so that's the backdrop to where we find ourselves at the start of chapter 16. And we find the prophet Samuel really struggling with what has happened with Saul. Look at what we read again. How long will you mourn for Saul, How long will you mourn? That would indicate he's been mourning for a long time. He's grieved. There's a heartache there. He can't seem to get past it. He's taken it quite personally. He's feeling the loss in his soul. He's thinking about it all the time. It's affecting him emotionally. He's got stuck because of what has happened to Saul. And you know, we're living at a time of great change. The greatest change most of us have seen in our lifetime. And what I've discovered is change brings loss and loss brings grief. Whenever you lose something that's valuable or dear to you, it brings change and change brings loss and loss brings grief. And sometimes in the church we're not great at dealing with grief or mourning. We plaster over it. We say, praise the Lord, hallelujah, God is good all the time. And I want to tell you, God is good all the time, but sometimes life is hard. And putting a plaster over it, over an open wound, doesn't solve anything. You know, I've been at funerals of of Christians who have passed. And can I tell you, it is glorious to know they're with the Lord. I have done funerals of people who love Jesus and people who don't know God. And can I tell you, this is a better funeral right here. But it's still painful. You still feel the loss and it's okay to grieve. Even Jesus grieved the loss of his friend. Jesus wept over his friend Lazarus, even though he knew he was going to resurrect him from the dead. So we can still grieve and mourn. But it's not just physical losses. Sometimes it's the loss of a relationship. Sometimes it's the loss of a job. Sometimes it's the loss of a friend who moves away or a relationship that falls apart. Sometimes it's the loss of something that was valuable to you, that you thought would be in your life for a long time, and it's not there anymore. And you know, we still believe that all things work for the good of those who love God, who've been called according to His purpose. But it's okay at times to mourn. It's okay to grieve. So there is a time for mourning. Ecclesiastes says that. There's a time for mourning. But, and here's the but, we shouldn't get stuck in the mourning There always comes a point when we need to move from mourning to moving. When we need to move from grieving to going. Where we need to move from weeping to walking. And that time has come for Samuel. So God interrupts him in his grief and says, Samuel, it's time to take off your funeral clothes. You need to let this go. You might not want to yet. You might not feel ready to get on with your life. But it's time to move on. Stop mourning what could or should have been. You can't change what happened. But you can change how you face the future. And the word of the Lord to some of you is this. It's time to move on. I know that was painful. I know you were devastated by that loss. I know that you didn't see it coming and it blindsided you and it has completely shaken your trust in people. I've seen what you've walked through. I've seen the betrayal. I've seen the unfaithfulness. I've seen the rejection. I've seen the mistreatment. I've seen the divorce. I've seen the injustice. I've seen your loss and I'm not minimizing it. The Lord would say I've seen it all, but it is time to move on. You see, the Bible says that we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We don't park there. We don't camp there. We don't build a house there. We keep on Yes, We do go through it, but we don't stay there. And I believe the word of the Lord for some of you right now is it's time to take off your funeral clothes. It's time to wash your face. It's time to get back on your feet. And I know what you've been through has been painful and difficult, and you're not sure you can face the world again, but the Lord would say, I want you to go. And you might even grieve as you go. You might even weep a bit as you walk. But that's okay. As long as you get back up and get back out there and move on. Because you remember the you 2 song a number of years ago? You've got to get yourself together. You've got stuck in a moment and you can't get out of it. Some of us have got stuck in a moment. And the problem is that the Lord has moved on. And if we're stuck somewhere back here, we're going to miss what the Lord has for us out there. So I want to say to you, it's okay to grieve. But there comes a point when you need to stop grieving. And it's time to start going. It's okay to mourn, but the word of the Lord for some of you is, now it's time to move again. Would you just pause for a second? And if, why don't we all do this, if you're, if you're happy to do this, just put your hand on your heart. Father God, for those who have got stuck, for those who this is a word for, we receive it. And we say, it's time to move again. 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 Number two. The word of the Lord for some of you is this. It wasn't your fault. It wasn't your fault. Samuel was the prophet who anointed Saul. He has done everything God told him and yet things Haven't worked out. Saul's rejected as king. And he's taken it personally. He wonders if it's his fault. He wonders if he could have done anything better. If he could have said anything better. If he missed it somehow. That it's his fault. The whole thing didn't work out. And God makes it clear to Samuel. No, I am the one who has rejected Saul as king. This is between him and me. It's nothing to do with you, Samuel. It wasn't your fault. And you know, you can do your best. You can give something your all. You can pour yourself out. You can be loyal. You can invest yourself. You can give things 100%. You can be obedient. You can be faithful. You can be be following Jesus. But you know what? Sometimes, sometimes things just don't work out. Sometimes because of other people and their actions that you have no control over. And sometimes it's just the circumstances of the world around you. But sometimes things don't work out. You know, we had a situation a number of years ago. Or we poured our lives into something for years. We invested ourselves, we opened our home, we opened our hearts, we let people in, we gave our all, and you know at the very end, it all fell apart. Everything just seemed to crumble around us. And I walked away from that situation. And I was heartbroken and I was grieving and I was mourning. But more than that, I was carrying a sense of guilt and shame and regret about the things I could have said should have said. You know, you always think about the perfect thing you could have said afterwards, don't you? (laughs) Or the thing that you should have done. And I was walking away with all of this shame, all of this regret, all of this guilt about what I could, should have said and I was carrying around and it was like a burden on my shoulders and about six months after that I was in a meeting like this and there was a prophet at the front and she called me out she didn't know anything about her situation she asked my wife and I to stand up and we stood up and for the next five minutes she described exactly what had happened six months before exactly what had happened and what we'd been through and the relationship breakdown. and then she stopped and she went I want you to know it wasn't your fault and it was like this weight lifted off this burden lifted off my shoulders and I believe the Lord wants to say that to some of you that you're carrying false guilt you're carrying false shame you think you did something wrong when the Lord would say it wasn't your fault People have blamed you for something that was nothing to do with you. And even though deep down you know it's nothing to do with you, you're carrying some of that shame. I want, to be, I want the Lord to say to you, it is not your fault. And I want you to feel the weight lift off that. I believe the Lord would say to you, I see how much you gave. I see how you postured your heart. I see what happened. I see that you did your best. I see that you gave it 100%. I see that you got blamed for something. That your relationship has been tarnished because of something you didn't. I've seen how they've talked about you. I've seen it all. And the Lord wants to say to you, it wasn't your fault. Don't carry guilt. Don't carry shame for something that has nothing to do with you. When the Holy Spirit comes, he doesn't bring shame. He brings conviction. Amen. And you repent and that lifts off. Shame is from the enemy. Shame doesn't say you've done something wrong, it says you are a bad person. You are wrong. And I believe today the Lord wants to deliver some of you from from carrying false shame, false guilt, and false responsibility. The Lord would say to you, It wasn't your fault. Would you put your hand on your heart? And I want you all to say this out loud It wasn't my fault. Say it again. It wasn't my fault. Number three. Number three, some people can't be part of your future. Some people can't be part of your future. For years, Samuel was the sole intermediary between Saul and God. He was the in-between. He was the go-between. He was the one who spoke God's word to the nation. He was the one who spoke God's word to Saul. He was the one the king depended upon. He was the one that the king had a relationship with. And the Lord says, now that is over. That is finished. I want you to sever that relationship. And I want you to leave Saul in my hands. And in your own journey... And what I have found in these recent years, particularly post-2020 with everything, that some people who were part of my life are no longer part of my life. And sometimes that's difficult. But there's still some people who are part of my life that I feel God doesn't want to be part of my life. There has been this realignment of relationships. There were people who were following Jesus pre-2020 who were walking in the same direction and you were aligned and now they're going a completely different direction and you're still walking with them. But if you're walking with them and they're going a different direction to Jesus, then you're going in the wrong direction. And there are some people in your life and they're not bad people, they're probably very good people, but there are some people in your life that God would say, just because they have been part of your history, I don't want to bring them into your destiny because they will hold you back They will will tether you to a past that I no longer want you to be part of. Maybe you have tried to help someone and you've poured yourself out and you've poured yourself out and they don't want to change. You you want them to change more than they want to change. There comes a point where the Lord would say, Leave them in my hands. Maybe it's a relationship that has reached its expiration date. You know, when you have food in the fridge. And it's reached its expiration date. It's better not to eat it. There are some relationships that have reached their expiration date. But you're continuing to go there. You're continuing to invest. You're continuing to give. There's people that you used to love meeting. You met them every Friday afternoon. It was energizing. You looked forward to it. And now you spend half an hour with them. And it's like, I need a dark room for two hours. They have sucked the life out of me. But you don't have the courage to cancel that Friday afternoon coffee. <laughs> Just because somebody was part of your life doesn't mean God wants them to stay. There are some relationships that are forever. In the family of God, I pray that you're walking with these people in 50 years time. I really do. But there are other things, there are other situations where God brings people into your life for a reason and a season. And they were never meant to be permanent. But if you try to hold on to them, if you tether yourself to something over here that God is trying to get you to let go of, you will find that you stay stuck and you get frustrated and you wonder why nothing is working in your life and you wonder why nothing is moving. It's because you have tethered yourself to something that God is saying, I want you to move on from that. Don't prop up things that God is trying to kill. Thank God for them but recognize that that season is over. And it doesn't have to be some big drama. Just gently and gracefully start to exit from those things. There are some people that simply don't have the capacity to go where God is leading you. Don't we see that with Lot and Abraham? There comes a point in Genesis 13 where they just have to go their separate ways. They started the journey together, But they're going in two different directions. And Abraham simply says, look, you go whatever direction you want, and I'll go the other direction. Mm -hmm. And there are some people that have been part of your history that the Lord would say, I don't want you to carry them into your destiny because they will hinder you from everything that I have for you. Number four. The Lord would say to some of you, there's more oil. There's more oil. What do I mean by that? Look at verse one again. Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. What's this thing about the horn? The horn was a ram's horn. It was an animal's horn. And it was filled with the oil of the anointing that they would pour over the king's head to show that the Holy Spirit and God was anointing him as king. Oil also represents joy. The joy of gladness. The oil of gladness. So oil represents the Holy Spirit and it represents joy. But do you notice if God is saying to Samuel, fill your horn with oil, what does that indicate? That his horn is empty. empty. And why is it empty? Because he poured it out over Saul. He poured everything he had over Saul. Over something that hasn't worked over something that failed and now he's standing empty and you know you can pour yourself out and you can give and you can give and you can give and you can serve and you can love and sometimes you're just left with emptiness that happened us at one season we gave and we gave and we gave we poured and we poured and we poured and people took and they took and they took And you know what, it's wonderful to give, and it's wonderful to pour, and it's wonderful to love, and it's wonderful to serve, but you come to a point where you need to fill up your own tank. And I was pouring, and I was giving, and I was pouring, and I was giving, and I hit a point where I was completely empty. And I went to the doctors, and he said, Craig, you have burnout, and you have depression, and I was just empty. I had nothing. I was numb. And you know what? At that point, I really believed that the Lord was finished with me. It was 2016. I believed the Lord was never going to use me ever again because I would poured and poured and poured and I was empty. Sometimes there's things in our lives, maybe it's struggles, addictions, habits, sins, and we get to the stage where we just feel empty and we feel like the Lord doesn't want to use us again. Maybe we just keep going around the same mountain over again and we've got stuck in this habit and we've got stuck in this cycle and we feel like I've just, I'm empty, I have nothing left to give. Maybe you've been brutally betrayed by someone you love and you don't think you can ever trust again. But here's what I discovered in my emptiness God has more oil. Hallelujah. God has more oil. He has complete restoration, He has a greater mercy, He has better relationships, He has deeper healing. And he can more than make up for anything else you have lost. But you need to go to the source of oil. Mm. You don't get oil from other people. Mm. You go to the source. You go to the one who has the abundance of oil. And you ask him to fill you afresh. Fill you afresh with his Holy Spirit. Fill you afresh with his presence. Fill you afresh with his power. And you know what? When you ask, he will give. Go to the source. And so he sent Samuel with a horn of fresh oil to the house of Jesse. anoint a new king. And I've only a couple of points left. The fifth thing I think the Lord would say to some of us is this. You're not out of options. You're not out of options. So he asked Jesse, verse 11, are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So Samuel is sent to Bethlehem. He's told to find Jesse and he, God tells him one of Jesse's sons is going to be the next king. There's only one problem. He doesn't tell him which son. Wouldn't that have saved a lot of awkwardness? If he'd have said, go to Bethlehem, go to Jesse's house and find David. That would have saved the awkwardness of seven guys walking past and God saying, no, 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 no. Why does God do that? Have you found that God does that? Do you know what I think? It's because God wants to teach you dependence on him. God doesn't give you the full roadmap for the next five. I would love that. Wouldn't it be great if God just gave you this panoramic 4K vision of the next five years? You know what he does? He gives you the next step. And that's all he gives you and you take that step of obedience and gives you the next one his word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path and as you trust and as you obey with each step he reveals the next one to you we see that in scripture the lord said to abraham go from your country your people and i will show you god says go and i will show you know what i would prefer if god showed and then i would go that would make life a whole lot easier But God says, go, and as you step out in obedience and faith, you will see me show up. Because the Bible says in Proverbs 20, a person's steps are directed by the Lord. There's no elevators or escalators in the kingdom of God. There's just steps. And we move forward one step of obedience at a time. And so these seven sons get paraded before Samuel and God says no to all of them. And Samuel is really confused. Because it seems like he has seen all the sons and God has rejected all of them. And so what's what's going on? He's scratching his head. Here's what it is. Samuel thought he was out of options. It seemed like he had hit a wall, but he just hadn't seen everything that was available. Seven sons had been presented. And seven in the Bible is the number of completion or perfection. So Samuel thought he had seen them all. What he hadn't seen was that there was an eighth son out in the field looking after the sheep. The youngest one. The unknown one. The overlooked one. The the underappreciated one. Who from all external appearances, you would never have thought that inside this kid was a king. He's the one Samuel was looking for. He's the Lord's choice. And I believe the Lord would say to some of you today, you're not out of options. Maybe your first choice didn't work out or your second choice didn't work out or even your third choice didn't work out. And it feels like nothing is working out and it feels like you've tried everything and it feels like you've hit a wall and it feels like you don't know where to go from here and the Lord would say to you, I have options that you don't know about yet. You've applied for job after job after job and nothing has worked out. You've dated guy after guy after guy and nothing has worked out. You're very quiet in this house this (laughs) morning. And here's what the Lord would say to you. I have options you haven't seen yet. I have possibilities, I have opportunities, I have open doors that you can't even conceive of right now. So don't give up through frustration or impatience because the best option as yet to be revealed and it will be so much better than you planned or anticipated or expected. Amen. And I believe this is a word particularly about relationships for some people. That you get to a certain stage... And you meet someone who's almost right. They tick some of the boxes. You want a a passionate believer and you meet someone who goes to church now and again. They believe in God. But they really like you and they say all the right things. Do you know what? There's a huge temptation to settle for almost God's best. Because you think, all my options are gone. I'm getting older. You know, I'm like 23 and I'm getting too old. <laughs> you know, I was, I was 34 when I met my wife. And I always thought I'd be married by 27. 27 came, 28 came, 29 came, 30 came. All my friends were getting married. One summer I was at nine weddings. And I was the single guy at the wedding that they didn't really quite know what to do with. You know? <laughs> You know, they've got everybody at tables, and couples, and pairs, and then there's the singles, who gets put along with the, 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 the kids, and, and great aunt Mabel, who, who, who has got three of her own teeth left, and they think that maybe the single guy and her might just connect over, over chicken or beef. You know what I mean? And, and so I was the guy who was at that table. I was the guy who constantly sat on my own, so I know what that's like. And you know what? There was people that I could have dated. There were people I was interested in. There were people I even did date. And they were wonderful. But I knew they weren't God's best. I knew they weren't God's best. And you know, one day, I was dating a girl. And she was a good Christian girl. But I it was going nowhere. But it was better than being on my own. How many know that's right? I'd rather be with somebody who's not God's best than sitting my own watching The X Factor on a Saturday night or whatever. And so I'm dating this girl. And I'm holding on to her. And I know it's not going anywhere, and there's a girl in my church who's prophetic, and she comes up to me, and she says this, Craig, the Lord gave me a vision for you. And I said, what is it? She said, Craig, you're holding on to this relationship, and because you're holding on to it, your hand's closed, and he can't give you what you want. And if you will release this relationship, he will give you what you want. And I said, could he not swap? You know, (laughs) like, rather than me release, when I release, all I'm left with is nothing so could he not kind of like do this switcheroo thing where i release in one hand and he gives me her with the other hand and she said craig the lord says if you release he will give you your heart's desire and we broke up and for a number of months i was lonely and i kept wanting to go back there and i kept thinking about going back there but about three months later i met a girl with blonde curly hair we had our first date Four months, two days later, we were engaged. Nine months later, we were married. Boy, am I glad I did not settle for good. Because good is often the enemy of God's best. You know, this morning, I was coming out and i about to put on my shoes. I lifted them out of my suitcase. And look what she did. She wrote me a wee love note. I mean, it's a grocery list. No, it's not. Um, no, she wrote me a love note saying she's praying for me. I'm so glad I didn't settle because I thought these were the only options. Do you know what? There was an option I had not seen yet. And the Lord would say to some of you, you think you're out of options and you're ready to settle for an inferior option. And it might be a decent option. It might be good. But the Lord has got other options. Amen. Don't settle for anything less than his best. And number six, and I'm finishing here. God knows where you are. God knows where you are. He asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We won't sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So David is out in the field. He's out and all he has is stinky sheep around him and lion of bears that come to attack the sheep he's in obscurity he's hidden he's out of the way nobody sees him nobody cares about him he's just out there every day in the wilderness and all he's doing is looking after his dog sheep which was one of the lowest jobs you could do in that society and when he's not fighting off lions and bears he's sitting with his little stringed instrument and he's he's worshipping God and everybody else has forgotten about him everybody else has, has has pushed him out of the way You see, even his own father, when Samuel said, bring me your sons in, he didn't even think to bring in David. He had seven sons. Seven was perfection. You know what number eight was? One too many. The spare one. The misfit. Some people think that David was born out of an illicit relationship. And that's why it was kind of out of sight, out of mind. That's why there was a tension with his brothers. And David was unappreciated. He was undervalued, and he was put into obscurity and isolation out of the way. And yet, in the middle of nowhere, far away from everyone else, in his loneliness and isolation, God saw this kid. And God said, there's a man after my own heart. He's the one. He's the one I want to anoint as king. And I want to say to you today that God sees where you are. David didn't have to apply for the job. David didn't have to worry about whether his father noticed him or not. When God wanted him, God knew where he was. Look at what it says. Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. The brothers, he thought they would be king, and God rejected And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David.